Welcome to the uh, Longview Systems Activate Digital 2018 uh, Spotlight Podcast Series. Of course, I'm your host, John Hansen. Now, I want to remind everyone that throughout this series, throughout the course of the series, we're going to be talking with thought leaders from the high-tech industry and beyond uh, where Canada is in the digital transformation stage or digital revolution. I mean, I've heard different things. They Evolution, revolution, they all work, whatever it is. But where we're going, not only today, where we're starting, but where we're going into the future. And to really bring that discussion along, we're welcoming John Mellon from uh, NetApp to join us today. Welcome, Thanks, John. John. Flattered and, to be here. And you know what? And I recognize you. <laughs> I think I see you. Here we are again. Yeah. Here we are. I should call you Ed McMahon. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean. I'm glad I'm in the middle of you, too. Now, I want to start off the first question, because one of the things, we're having a discussion, Kevin and I, about, you know, the old Forrest Gump, life is like a box of chocolates. When you go out to talk to clients, some of them get it right out of the gate, and other ones have never heard it before. It's like you're talking to a new language. Right. And your article uh, titled, Customer Engagement Evolved, Curiosity, Trust, and Purpose-Driven Exploration. I think that's right. It is right. Title. Yep. Yeah, and I want to quote this. You said you have to look beyond the bits and bytes of storage capability to the people and the relationships that are the real drivers of data transformation. So within that context, because it's very much a people-oriented business, let's talk about I want to talk about curiosity first. Sure. Because I think that goes, I think that's an essential element. 100%, 100%. Yeah. So let, let's start with why it is that people would imagine that, they, that, that others would want to spend time with them. Right. Okay, start there. Uh, in my opinion, there's really three reasons why people would want to spend time with you given you know, the company you're from or the agenda you're on or the ambition that you have. Uh, point number one is, are you an energy giver or an energy taker? So in any personal exchange, if you suck the oxygen out of every room you go into, pretty soon people are not going to welcome you back. So there's this, comp yeah, there's, there's this concept of every day we wake up and we have a choice about what attitude to take to the day. And I, I'm a big believer that every day you, you wake up with an attitude about you know, impacting the lives of others in a positive way and bring in juice to whatever engagement that you're, you're asked to be a part of. So number one, are you an energy giver or an energy taker, okay? Number two, are you interesting? And by, way, by interesting, I mean, you know, not tattoos and nose rings. I mean, <laughs> are you informed? Are you informed about the things that you imagine the customer uh, is, is uh, interested in? And then the third is, to a degree, we all are the company that we keep. So to the extent you hang out with a bunch of people that want to you know, uh, succeed at the expense of others, in the long run, that's going to come back to limit the, the kind of engagement that, uh, that you're afforded. So energy giver or taker, are you informed in the company that you keep? And I think that blends right into this question that you've asked about curiosity. At NetApp, it's taken us a while. We've been a public company for 25 years now, but it's taken us a while to realize that when we start a customer engagement, it's really about discovery. It's not about a product. And so when you imagine yourself to be in, a, in discover mode first, you've got to have a limitless supply of curiosity. Curiosity about their business, their competitive environment, the trends that are going on in the marketplace. And so it kind of speaks to when you show up with a level of curiosity and you are an energy giver and you are informed, you're going to create a condition for discovery that's going to produce real outcomes. So that's what I mean. Okay, well, now, you know, that's an interesting point. Because first of all, when you mentioned those three things, I'm talking about timeless principles that transcend technological sure. breakdown. I'm talking about, you're talking about life principles in right. terms of that. Being that knowledge source, asking questions, having a healthy dose of curiosity. Right. Let me ask you, Kevin, in the digital realms, 
we're, we're dealing with virtual ideas or thoughts. Yeah. And so now you're no longer selling products. You're no longer saying, here's features, functions, and benefits, which let's face it, uh, John, the high-tech industry was based upon, here's how many RAMs, here's how many of this, all of that area. Is this making it more conducive now, more than ever, that approach to the personal touch, to be that energy giver, to have that curiosity? Oh, 100%. You have to understand the organization's business or purpose. You have to match that to actual business cases that digital transformation technologies can be used for. You know, sometimes we love to show up with a technology, you know, blockchain's all the rage right now, so everything's going to be solved with blockchain versus really focusing on the problem, right? Albert Einstein had that great quote, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes defining the problem, five minutes defining the solution. And so, you know, this is a great example of that type of engagement. And that's where we're seeing success, right? Really understanding the client's problems, making sure you make it applicable so rubber can hit the road, so they can actually get outcomes from whatever they're investing in, so they can reinforce that with further investments. Now, is there an element of contradiction there, though? And here's what I'm talking about, because you, you look at IT traditionally, it's been facts, information, facts, data, and all of these things. And so now you're going in saying, well, wait a second, we've got to go beyond that scope. We've got to ask that. Do you encounter issues or situations where people are saying, no, just tell me the technology or how it works? Absolutely. And, and how do you deal with that? Well, you know, it, 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 it takes time. It takes time because, you know, building a personal relationship is a proxy for having uh, that relation uh, expose itself, if you will, to the business problems or the personal problems that, uh, that you know, an individual is, is facing. So when I say this takes time, I, I think, you know, again, those time-honored facts about how you build personal relationships, you, you can't short-circuit that. You can't just show up now. Uh, previous history, your reputation in the marketplace, uh, your personal network, those things can help. But John, it's, it, it's gonna, it, it hasn't taken us long, but it's taken us a little, a couple of tries to really get one another in terms of how we communicate back and forth. And at this point in time, I think you can anticipate or could have anticipated the kind of things that I was interested in talking about with you today right. because we spent the time. Now multiply that many, many, many times and you get into the realm of being able to influence major organizations in terms of the, the way they think about being competitive. And we are in the data management business. So at the end of the day, my team sells stuff. There's no doubt about that. But between here and there, there is an enormous amount of value that can be created. So when we start talking about solutions, it's no longer, oh geez, these guys, here comes the pitch. It's, by the time we start talking about solutions, trust has been developed. There's, there's now mutual bi-directional curiosity. And frankly, we have earned the right to push back on conventional ways of thinking that might exist in an organization. If we've done the work, by the time we start talking about solutions, they're ready, they're not closed, they're open, and they're wanting to debate and get it right. But that's a cultural change as much, isn't it? I mean, like, you know, in our industry, but in a lot of industries, I remember people in the sales department would say, is you're only as good as your last quarter. I mean, we've all heard that and we come through that era, not to date us or make us older or whatever, but how do you, you know, that's a cultural change that has to take effect from the vendor side of the equation first, doesn't it? How do you overcome that? Well, I, I think, you know, it is about building trust and sometimes um, it's about disrupting the conversation, right? So we have seen over the course of the last year or so many clients saying, hey, I just want to buy this. And us having to say, hold, hold on just a second. We want to just talk about some of the art of the possible. You don't need to buy this or it doesn't necessarily mean it's the time is right now, but we want you to start thinking about this and getting that on the table, right? Because, you know, we've had some transactions where people have shown up and said, you know, 
I don't care, I just want to make the transaction happen, but we're, hey, there's ways to save you money, there's ways to be more agile here. And when they started to think about the possibilities, they went on a different path. So you have to have that trust to have that conversation, right? To be able to kind of disrupt maybe those, those habitual conversations that are going on. Well, but wait, you know, it's interesting. And a lot of times, clients historically, some have abdicated their responsibility for the solution. Mm -hmm. and, and vendors on the other side, organizations would say, okay, we'll win the business first and worry about making it work later. Yeah. We've all heard that totally. as well. So it takes a certain amount of confidence and discipline to be able to perhaps walk away from a bad opportunity then pursue it. I mean, in terms of the digital uh, evolution, revolution, whatever we're going to call it, I mean, have you ever found yourself in that kind of a situation where you said, look, you know, I'm not just going to sell you something. Yep. I want to be able to build the rapport and the relationship. We're not talking about feeling good and hugging trees here, yep. but it's a natural progression of doing the job right to create the right outcome. Have you ever come away and said, you know what, I don't think we can overcome this at this particular stage? Yeah. Uh, so the answer is yes. Uh, you, you know, oftentimes... Uh, you are you're forced into doing what's been asked of you uh, and getting the right result as opposed to being right. So that, that was, you know, Jack Welsh always used to say, your job is not to be right. Your job is to get the right result. And sometimes the right result happens in reverse order. You know, satis keep yourself engaged with the customer. Use a transaction or a suboptimal business decision to buy yourself time to deepen the relationship and course correct over a period of time. It's a legitimate st sales strategy. It's not the one that you would like to have uh, occur every time, but we don't live in a world of purity and 100% and you know, things go the way we want them to. The other, the other dynamic is you know, oftentimes you just don't know as a potential partner of a customer what the real blockers are, financial, political, uh, you know, uh, strategic blockers are to wanting to get things done the way you imagine them to be. So I would tell you that I'm definitely guilty of staying in deals that are suboptimized, and I operate under the belief that, you know, you you I may hate it now, but this company's going to love me in the long run, and so I believe I can course correct from you know an initial salvo like that. What do you think? Yeah, I mean it's inherently in our name, right? Longview, and I've been with Longview pretty much since the beginning. Uh, I can tell you the founder ingrained that with us, right? Is, you know, do not be uh, super concerned about making that transaction happen for quarter end or year end. It's about a long-term relationship. And sometimes, to your point, it is about, okay, I understand you're on this path. Make this transaction happen. And, but I also need to share some knowledge and wisdom with you about where you can maximize this or make it potentially happen, right? That's, that's the role of a consultant, right? To show some of the art of the possible, but also to support your clients. And, and you know, sometimes those directions are different. Um, financial, strategic, you've you got to be there for them, right? Yeah. But I, would, I would draw the line, though. I'm sorry for interrupting. I would draw the line at a point where if you know that you're going to expose a client to danger by agreeing to a path, that is a non-starter for us. Well, you see what's interesting, going back 30 years ago, I remember this, because you talk about, you know, maybe the client doesn't understand your yeah. true value. And, and I remember 30 years ago, if I could reflect back on this, uh, landing a major account, Canadian uh, Press, for example. And one of the ways in which I did to get out of a competitive price range was I'd do this extra research for them. And they'd go and do this. And then at the end of the month, I'd send them a statement of all the things they'd asked me to do how many hours I invested. And I got a phone call from them saying, what, are you sending me a bill? I said, no, I just want to demonstrate the value that I have. They became a good client, mm. and I never had that competitive price thing again. And I mean, those principles that you're talking about here as well, 
you don't necessarily go after the sales right away, but you're making an investment. That's right. And you want to be able to demonstrate value and knowledge. And it goes into being a knowledge source. I mean, isn't that what you look at? Being a, I mean, isn't this what Activate Digital 2018 is all about? Yeah, if we, if we talk about, you know, the why of Longview, it's about prosperous careers and healthy lives. And, you know, we want to have these people that have amazing, exciting work. They go back and drive incredible value for their clients because when you get in a healthy position like that, you ultimately participate in your community in a positive way and change the world, right? Now, one of the things that some people tend to forget about that is our clients are people and they have jobs and they have uh, strategic things that they're trying to make happen, um, objectives, right? And so you want to be allied with those people in that organization to make them successful. Like, all our success is tied in together, right? And so understanding what success means for them, understanding what's important for them and lining up to that is really, really important. Really well, important. now you talk, and again, I want to say this, trust should be treated, and I'm quoting you directly here, uh, as a process and not a transaction. So, I mean, you have to have the courage to make that kind of investment, choose the right clients. But we don't want people to misinterpret the fact that at the end of the day, a transaction has to occur. But you're talking about in the framework, and correct me if I'm wrong, that it has to occur within the right context to achieve the right result, not just to be a number on a board. Right. I mean, that's really what you're talking about there. Well, a proposal absent discovery is a quote. It's not a proposal. A proposal implies something about our insight to the business need and what problems we're solving. We're not in the business of providing quotes. We're in the, the business of delivering business outcomes, and that absolutely requires a you know, kind of crawl, walk, run evolution with customers to build trust, to do discovery, and then ultimately help them through the eyes of thousands of our customers and uh, all the good and the challenge that has come from 25 years in the business to, uh, to accrue to the next customer relationship. I would add that uh, I tell customers all the time, my last customer is always a little bit more important than my next and that is another part of building trust because, you know, the one way to undermine an 18-month trust-building sales campaign is to unplug after the deal's done. You know, just simply become persona non grata, not really being visible and active through the business outcome that you had both agreed to. Um, that will do as much to undermine a, a great purpose-driven trust-based relationship as anything else. See, now I'm going to take this to, to a different road that none of us expected, because I'm listening about this trust building. Public sector, government versus private sector. It, some say it's easier to build those kind of relationships relative into the private sector, but in the public sector with government, you have all these automated bidding systems. You have all these elements, so when you build a relationship, sure. it's like, you know, there's a certain frowning upon that. Is that an infringement upon everybody's right to have access to the business? How does it apply? You're smiling. There, it, it I makes get sense. You. It makes sense. I, yeah. I mean, like, think about it. How do you get by that dealing with a public sector organization so they can become part of the digital evolution? Well, you know, we've seen great things from the government and digital transformation across the board. In fact, I think when we look at Gardner stats, they're the kind of the number two kind of vertical or industry that's embracing digital transformation. So they get it, and they're, they're seeing business cases throughout North America and the world for government. I think it's the same, same thing, right? You're, we're engaged in conversation. We're understanding, you know, what the problems are they're solving. They're, sometimes those are extremely important uh, problems they need to solve that we have to show them the art of the possible and solutions. And then you have to work through the proper rules and channels to get those proposals out and bid on them accordingly, right? But they are people. They want to have success. They have important uh, strategic objectives. And you're working with them in the same form or fashion, right? Well, yeah. You see, John, I once talked with uh, the chief aide to Governor Cuomo. And he, he said this. He said 95% of all government tenders, the winner, is decided before the RFP is issued. 
No, nobody's shocked here. No. But, and, you know, and of course, people will say, well, that's not fair. It's a rigged system. And if you're responding to a bid on a government system, you're already out of the game. And the explanation, uh, Judy Brad, who's a Canadian who works out of Washington, had said, look, you just don't show up to a marathon on the day of the race without training sure. and run the race. You've got to build that report. You've got to build what's known as legitimate preference. I mean, that's where this maybe falls into the, the, the scheme of things, isn't it? Absolutely does. So uh, you not only don't show up to the marathon on the day of the race and imagine finishing, let alone competing, but if you want to be world class, there's a whole team of people that work getting you prepared, a, a, a nutritionist, a strength and conditioning coach, a psych, sports co psychologist, whatever. And I, I believe in the same vein, uh, and it's true of both commercial and public sector business, uh, you know, influencing decisions is a team sport. And in, in, our, in the US public sector, for example, we are by far the dominant supplier of, of storage and data management to the US uh, public sector, and it's all uh, uh, categories of government. And the big investment that we've made, save you know showing up with really credible resources to consult with and, and uh, to design solutions, the investment that we made is with all of the federal systems integrators that also serve the US uh, public sector. So I would say a, at least the same investment is made in the ecosystem around the government as the government itself. To the point you've made, you know, 95% of the time they know, why do they know? They know because the ecosystem has already trained them and conditioned. And that, by the way, it doesn't happen the day of the race. Right. This happens over an extended period of time. And through the, 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 the filter of a bunch of partners up to and including NetApp. So again, build the, build the relationship. So public-private sector, it's the same formula. Really certain degree. Maybe a different approach uh, sure. and entry point, but certainly on that basis. Now, you mentioned one more thing. You said purpose-driven exploration. Now, I, I think we've pretty well touched on what that means, but maybe elaborate a little bit more. Well, the, 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 I'll underscore the word purpose, because in order to have true purpose, you have to be confident in the capabilities you're trying to drive and the business reasons why you're trying to drive those capabilities. Purpose means that you have done the work necessary to actually have provocative conversations with your customer. You know, if you show up on the day of the, the, the marathon again, if you show up the day that you're meeting a customer and you create the illusion that you think their strategy is all wrong, you're probably not going to be welcomed back too soon, okay? So purpose-driven exploration is a function of discovery and trust that gets built, putting you in a position to truly have those hardcore provocative conversations, not about which direction you want to go necessarily, but really how to optimize business decisions. That takes a lot of, of uh, foundational work in order for it to be purpose-driven. So now I'll refer to a book. Andy Cruz wrote a book called The uh, Relationships First, The New Paradigm in Contracting, in complex contracting in particular. I mean, this is where relationships become even more critical, yeah. I would say. So when you think of, of these relationships and compared to how you used to do it in the past to now, is, is there a change from the mindset within the company culture itself that has to occur to look at that through a new way? Are organizations like Longview, I mean, your roots have been built, built yeah. upon this. You, of course, uh, a charismatic leader. I mean, leadership comes from the top mm. causing that. So, like, are, are there organizations who just aren't getting, I'm not yeah. asking the name thing, but you know what I mean. There, there's yeah, fu fundamentally, the building of relationships are always the same. They're built on the same core principles of humanity, right? But what we're seeing, the biggest roadblock or bottleneck to digital transformation is a culture of innovation. 
right? Where is your culture at embracing innovation and bringing new ideas and being able actually to get those ideas out in whether it's operational improvements or whether it's new products to market. Now, a lot of people confuse innovation with continuous improvement. Hey, I'm making something better. We're talking about something that's a little more disruptive than that, right? And if you look at uh, Gartner, I think, put the stat around, you know, 46% of digital transformation projects uh, are not being executed because of the innovation of the culture inside the organization. That is really key, right? We have to get innovating. We have to teach innovation. Uh, it's like a muscle. You have to be doing it over and over again, and you have to be doing it on a daily basis. It's not, hey, the boss had a great idea. We're going to go do it or sit in the shower for an hour and try to have an epiphany, it's really about putting that fabric and that into the DNA of the organization. Really, really important. Well, this is a really great point ahead. he's on. Okay. Uh, let, let, me, let me just compliment what he said. Um, we worked with IDC to understand what was different about top-performing organizations as it relates to embracing this digital disruption versus all others in their peer group. And uh, we surveyed, we analyzed, we assessed, we did the differential calculus that algorithmically de de you know, described a bunch of conditions that exist around this segment of customers we call data thrivers. These organizations that actively disrupt markets by leveraging information. And there, there are clear winners in this regard. And the interesting thing about what Kevin has described needs to exist and what ultimately is happening is these, this category we call data thrivers as opposed to data th survivors. The data thrivers routinely get 6x the revenue growth, 3x the profitability <coughs> growth, 2x the customer capture, all things that in a, in a growing business you, you're going to want to say check, 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 check. And there are conditions around how they approach digital transformation largely in e existing IT environments where there's decades of infrastructure that's already built. You can't rip it out overnight. So you got to start with tackling a project, getting an ROI on that project, then building teams about doing a cross-company, uh, you know, approach toward digital transformation, and then ultimately making sure that the way data and information is treated in an organization is the same no matter what functional group you're in. Because when that condition exists, you have one version of the truth and you can actually leverage that to great competitive advantage. Getting from point A to point B, not a trivial affair. See, and listening to what you're saying, it, it all makes perfectly good sense. Uh, one word that came to mind is scalability. It, let, let me tell you a story. You we have within an organization a group of people, and they have the right innovative spirit, uh, but people move and change jobs. Then you get new people coming in that don't necessarily have that. So the question is, is one of maintaining that vision within a company when we're dealing with, let's face it, change is inevitable, especially within the workplace. I think we talked about earlier, Kevin, when, when I worked, if you change jobs more than once, you're irresponsible. Now people change jobs every two, three years. So maintaining within the, in the company is critical, critical, but finding that, that scalability outside, you know, where you don't have that perfect storm of circumstances coming together. I mean, are we still at the one of creativity with having the right people in the right place with the right solution, perfect storm? And if we are, how do we make it scalable? And I'll start with you, Kevin, then go to you, John. Yeah, I mean, we believe culture is uh, key to innovation. That You have to have a framework for it. It has to be sustainable. It has to be ongoing continuously. It's not, hey, let's go off-site for a week and try to innovate. Uh, there's some stats around innovation. Some of them are, say, around 3,000 ideas to get down to one good idea. Of those one good ideas that survive, about 50% of those last for only about a year. So it takes a lot of scale 
a lot of ideas to get to really good ideas. You have to insert that into your organization. You've got to make sure that it's uh, merit-based, right? Sometimes ideas come from a senior VP or, and people are like, oh, that's a great idea because of your rank. But you need to make sure that they're coming from all over the organization. There's a framework that evaluates them, has a true business case with them, executes them, and we believe in small bets and see if those bets work, reinforce them. Give them more return, give them more value, give them more investment, and build off of that. You have to have that inside your culture, and it has to be going on continuously. Okay, I have to add this, uh, John. We only have a couple minutes left. Yeah. You know, Melvin Gladwell talked about the tipping point. We talk about the bell curve, early adopters. Mm -hmm. In the realms of digital transformation, where are we at? Are we still at the stage of early adopters? And what time frame would we lose? I'm asking you to put your prognosticators sure. down. And it is being recorded, so you, you will be held accountable for this. As you should. At, yeah. at what stage are we at? Are we at the early adopters? And what's it going to take to get to that traction uh, to, to, to a larger audience? I think we are in early adopters. In the, in the Michael Tracy uh, you know, categorization, I think we do have some organizations that are crossing the chasm. We, we, we've surveyed and verified for ourselves that while we're in the early stages of this market transformation, there is real wins to be had out there. So I would say that you know getting scale is really going to be a function of, you know, uh, sharing success. It's going to be a function of identifying the culturally endowed organizations that are prepared to take on these kind of new challenges. And by the way, I think on the front of culture, it's it's it got to have a great attitude. You got to have an organization with candor. You got to have a company that you know uh, puts a premium on leadership versus management. And you got to have a culture that gets stuff done a lot. So if you find organizations like that, they're probably going to be among these thrivers that I've talked about earlier. And I think you know the more thrivers we can line up and, and get across the chasm, very, very soon we're going to be into early, early majority stages. And I think that's definitely available to us in the next 18 to 24 months. Well, listen, I want to thank everyone. Uh, uh, Kevin, of course, as always, and John joining us. And here, of course, we are. I'm going to close with by saying is we're with John Mellon from NetApp, who's showing us how to thrive with it rather than survive with it. And I just want to remind everyone that this entire segment, of course, is being recorded and will be made available on the Longview Systems uh, uh, YouTube channel, sort of in what you can call a TEDx format. And an audio version will be available through my radio show through New York City. So stay tuned. And, of course, we look forward to sharing this same discussion with you on the next segment. Welcome again and uh, goodbye from Activate Digital 2018. Best wishes. <laughs>